Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Thank you all for being here today. And um, I think I had planned a Dharma talk called Perfect Love in Perfect Relationships. And every time I plan this Dharma talk, something happens. And I can't quite give the Dharma talk I thought. So I'm going to read some poems and um, explore with you together the heartbreak that we're all experiencing on some level right now. Anybody experiencing some heartbreak? Yeah. So the first reading that I'll read is from uh, Zenjin Earthlin Manuel, and she is a um, ben, uh, excuse me, a Zen Buddhist teacher. She's African American, <clears throat> and she's written several beautiful books on race and Buddhism and practice. Um, I recommend her books to you, and uh, I'm going to read what she wrote, as I feel my voice is. Um, not enough in this time, and I need to look to um, to my elders and my mentors right now. So I will read that to you. Um, and she wrote this in um, 2014. Um, it's quite wise. And she wrote this about Eric Garner. Eric Garner, a black man, father of six, was choked to death in Staten Island, New York police in July of 2014. A film shot from a smartphone recorded Garner's words, I can't breathe. And this is her words, and I will share it with you. What stood out most after what was claimed the wrongful death of Eric Garner were the words, I can't breathe. It became a collective mantra. Soon many were wearing t-shirts that said, I can't breathe. This collective voice rose to a crescendo and announced that we cannot inhale or exhale. We are dying. Black people are dying. At the same time, I heard inside myself another mantra. I want to live. I want to live. Suddenly, the mantra, I can't breathe, evolved into I want to breathe. I am breathing. I insist on breathing. I can breathe. It became an exploration. How is it that I am breathing while surrounded by bigotry and hatred? I was taught that everything and everyone are integrated, creating oneness. If such is true, when hatred is experienced, then at the same time, loving kindness must be accessible. Maybe it is not seen or felt, but it exists. 
I'm not talking necessarily about being loving and kind to the person spewing hatred, but rather recognizing in the moment of experiencing disregard that the experience of loving kindness is available. In essence, both hatred and loving kindness exist simultaneously in the sphere of life. Hatred is strengthened in losing sight of the existence of loving kindness, not in you or me, but in the realms of oneness, and still the pain, rage, anger, or fear must be acknowledged while breathing fiercely into the gross parts of such oneness. It is very difficult to believe that hatred exists within, our, within oneness. Often oneness is seen separate from the material world created by humans. We might say that there is no hatred in the oneness of things, yet it is an experience in this oneness of life for many to be killed because of such hatred. If I have been asked as a Buddhist teacher because of being black, what action do you take in the face of racism or any act of hatred against you? If your life is filled with daily harmful acts of disregard, how do you live? How do you breathe with such suffering? Honestly, most of my life I couldn't breathe. And like the Buddha who in near death realized he needed a body to be enlightened, it became clear that I in near death needed to breathe in order to live. Eric Garner's spirit might say the breath is the only God-given medicine or protection one may have in the midst of a racist or oppressive act. To come through racist, sexist, homophobic, homophobic assault, I breathe myself back home. I breathe myself to my original face, back to being awake to the truth that I am a legitimate form of nature. Someday I will not abandon this knowing of myself, and I will not have to breathe myself back. I will not adhere to distorted images imposed by those who hate. So while I can still access my breath, I can breathe as an act of resistance to the hatred in this world. And here is her poem. I can breathe. A Meditation on Surviving Acts of Hatred. And you can close your eyes if you like and take this in. May I come back to this body. May I come back to this breath. May I come to know this body as the earth itself. May I breathe myself back home and once again be introduced to this great life. May the great light of this earth surround me. May I be released from past harm and imposed hatred. May I come to recognize my existence in the true nature of life. May I come back to this breath, to this body, as the sacred place in which I remain awake and connected to the fragrance and taste of liberation. May I remain visible on the path of spirit and be seen and heard. May love given be returned tenfold. May awakening be known in this body at this time. And when I can't breathe, may I breathe in the next moment. May I say I can breathe. So 
So we too come back to the practice, present moment awareness, the body, the breath, and particularly the practices of the Brahma Viharas as an anchor and stability in these difficult, difficult times. We use loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity to steady us through this. And these practices of the Brahma Viharas actually help us not to turn away from the pain, the difficulty, and the suffering, particularly the compassion practice. We don't turn a blind eye and we don't turn away. We don't ignore. Um, and Paula and I were talking before the sit about this term white fragility. You know, I can't take the pain, so I'm not going to look. I'm going to make believe it isn't here. We don't do that. We learn that the boundless heart is strong and wise, and we turn towards. And we ourselves commit to healing in whatever way we can, what's appropriate for us. We commit to look at this hatred straight in the eye, this injustice, the racism that we live in and swim in, and we stand for a world that's filled with peace, kindness, justice, safety for all. And we do our part. We do what we can, what we're called to do. Um, a lot of you, um, there's that quote running around social media. Nowadays, you give talks from social media. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Benjamin Franklin, yeah? So we stand with, we turn towards, and we do not shut down or go blind. And I'll read another poem. Um, this one was written by <clears throat> um, Dr. Zhuang Vo, the Order of Interbeing, and um, I don't know where they're from, of D.C., Maryland. And here is his poem this morning. I can't breathe, said George Floyd, the knee of 400 years of racism on his neck. I can't breathe, said the woman with fear in her eyes, her lungs attacked by coronavirus as she was put on the ventilator. I can't breathe, said the nurse, exhausted after a long shift, sweating under a hot surgical mask and foggy goggles. I can't breathe, said the 100,000 dead Americans and a world in mourning. I can't breathe, said the earth, suffocating under a blanket of carbon emissions. Breathe, my dear, said the Buddha of our time, reminding us of the way to love, healing, and transformation. Breathe, my dear, said the beloved community, grieving and waking up together. Breathe, my dear, said Mother Earth, and let my oceans, mountains, and forests embrace you. 
right now when it seems so hard to breathe. Right now, just breathe. And this is um, what we practice for. We practice not for, and Joel said this to me this morning, but I think I've said it to him. We don't practice for the great day in the retreat center where the sun is shining and there's nature around us and it's fabulous to practice and we're getting great vegetarian meals and no one's bothering us. That's not what we practice for. We practice for times just like this. This is what the practice is for. This is our warrior training. And... Um, the training of compassion, radical compassion, I want to talk about that, um, is we are orienting towards the suffering. And it's a receptive practice, a willingness, as I said before, to be with the suffering and an active practice. It, we embrace and hold and we have an ability to help. And I think Bonnie just um, sent in the chat room, do we still have a social justice committee? And the answer is yes to Bonnie, um, who we can be active in social justice. It just takes all of you to want to um, have that meeting and show up, right? So um, <clears throat> we're learning not to shut down, and that's been the problem with racism for all my life. Um, and I'm old enough to be around with this from uh, many of you are in the civil rights movement uh, that the problem has been that white people have the privilege to ignore um, the devastation of racism in our society. It's a corrosive uh, roots and uh, with poverty, economic injustice, and uh, complete aggression by the police over the years. We can ignore this. And um, there's that term that we banter about called white fragility, which is to say that because we feel the pain, we turn away and we don't look. You know, oh, I can't look, right? And um, we are learning that we cannot have the luxury um, those of us who identify as white, uh, we cannot look away. We cannot afford our fragility. We cannot afford to turn a blind eye to our family, our brothers and sisters who are of color, who don't feel safe uh, in this world. They can't jog in a neighborhood. Uh, they can't bird watch in a park. And uh, they can't even sleep in a bed through the night. Um, we cannot turn away, and our compassion practice helps us to stay in our body, stay in our heart, and be effective human beings in a society that needs us to care. Um, so... Um, The, the thing about the compassion practice that is so important and that I want to share with you about today, and many of you know this, you're wise beings, but what compassion practice offers us is equanimity and balance 
stability, with wisdom, so that we're just not tipping over into overwhelm, helplessness, falling in so deep we can't function, or we have to pull away, go numb, disassociate, turn away. The equanimity and compassion practice helps us stay in the center, like that prayer flag, where that image, we're blowing and we're being blown in the wind, but we're standing. And our time, with all the suffering, we need to learn to stand with strength, resilience, with this compassion, with wisdom, so that not only do we have a practice that sustains us, we have a practice that gives to what is needed in the world, whether it's our family, our neighborhood, our friends, our government, our society. We have that capacity to stand strong. So we learn that balance. We don't fall in. And the way we do that is um, it's not just a um, practice of, of phrases. It's really a practice of titrating the heart, of making contact with the heart, of being with the heart, holding the pain, and titrating out and in, looking and being with, and then pulling back in, and looking and being with, and then pulling in, until you feel that anchor. If we're in uh, pity, or if we're uh, wanting to fix it, or solve it, or wanting to change it, or we're fighting with it, then um, we're going to sink in, right? We have to be with it as it is, with acceptance, with full presence, and um, radiate that caring. And when the mind is still, when the body is still, and we're anchoring in the breath, you can then connect to your wisdom, to the wisdom of knowing what's right for you to do. For some people, it was right to go out and protest all over this country, uh, even in the middle of the coronavirus. And one of my uh, meditation teachers that trained me at Spirit Rock, Ruth King, and she has several books, very interesting um, Buddhist teacher and author, um, I saw her posts, we've been following her posts, and she said, well, um, here is an example of um, how white people can help. And she had some pictures of um, white people standing in front of African American people in front of the police to say, protect, say protect. Well, those people were called in their heart to stand and protest that way. Um, and that took courage and strength and wisdom. And um, that is one act of service. There are many other acts of service. And it's not for, for me or any of us to tell each other what to do. It is to find in our stillness, our groundedness, and our peace what we are called to do. Um, another teacher, a Buddhist teacher, uh, sent out posts to say that uh, those of us who identify as white, we need to get much more real about the impact of racism and teach our children much differently 
than we have been and changing the way we speak about racism and seeing its corrosive results in our own soul and all around us. And there are lots of good teachings and writings on that. And um, I, in, in the 60s, Martin Luther King gave a, um, after winning the Nobel Prize, <laughs> Uh, gave a, spe a speech to behavioral therapists in the 60s. And uh, I'll read a little bit of what he said about um, riots. It was the role of behavioral scientists in the civil rights movement, and um, we can post that. This is, it's still quite relevant. Um, Urban Riots. I'll read a few lines of it and then some of the quotes to talk about how this um, affects our practice and our view of compassion practice. So um, he wrote, Urban riots must now be recognized as durable social phenomena. They may be deplored, but they are there and should be understood. So here's a very compassionate view. You may not like this violence and this destruction. It's not up to us to, to um, judge it. We need a compassionate heart seeks to understand it, not to judge it. We want to understand the pain that somebody destructs property, not to judge it. Seek to understand first. Um, and see yourself. Are you that child who ran into a sneaker store <laughs> to get a pair of shoes in the middle of this pandemic? What happened? How did that happen? I like to say, um, and you may not agree with me, but I like to say I am part of that problem. I created a store where shoes are $300 or $200, right? And, and people don't have enough money to put shoes on their children. This is a problem. It's a lifelong problem, a problem of thousands of years of greed, hatred, and delusion. But I, too, must look squarely at this problem. Um, <clears throat> urban riots, this is from Martin Luther King, are a special form of violence. They are not insurrections. The rioters are not seeking to seize territory or to attain control of institutions. They are mainly intended to shock the white community. They are a distorted form of social protest. The looting, which is <clears throat> their principal feature, serves many functions. It enables the most enraged and deprived, and I'm going to change the word to African-American because that's what we use today, to take hold of consumer goods with the ease the white man does by using his purse. Um, often the African-American does not even want what he takes. He wants the experience of taking, but most of all alienated from society and knowing that this society cherishes property above people. He is shocking it by abusing property rights. So the issue is you can stand there and blame for destruction, but 
um, we're living in a society that cherishes property above people. And this is the problem that the Buddha discussed of greed, hatred, and delusion. And um, we're called to look at this in the eye. And he goes on to say, um, a profound judgment of today. Uh, this is a quote from Victor Hugo that he quoted. Uh, a profound judgment of today's riots was expressed by Victor Hugo a century ago. If a soul is left in the darkness, sins will be committed. The guilty one is not he who commits the sin, but he who causes the darkness. There's another saying, um, an African proverb, when a village rejects the soul of a child, that child will start a fire to burn the village in order to feel the warmth of the flame. So we look at what conditions of rejection have been set up in our world, in our society, in our culture. Who have we left out? And this speaks to the core of the Buddhist teachings on loving-kindness and on compassion. The Buddha asks us, who have you left out? Who do you not notice, not care about, not see the suffering? Who have you left out? Who's locked out of your heart? Who doesn't count? And he asks us to look honestly there. On who do we devalue? Who do we treat as if they're not worthy of our care? And then he asks us to practice in opening and expanding our heart. So even that person we never looked at or noticed or cared about or that being has a place there. It's very common for the Dalai Lama to, uh, when he travels, his staff knows if he's in a large hotel or a convention center, he calls everybody who works in that hotel or convention center. He, he meets with them. He doesn't leave them out. He meets them and greets them personally, shakes hands and gives them blessings, wants to hear from them. Everybody in that center counts, including the janitors and the people who set up the chairs and the people who chop the food, right? He, he doesn't leave a facility without acknowledging every being there. So the Buddha asks us, who did you leave out? Who doesn't count? Who's left out of your heart? What judgment of yours iced out another human being? Even to the point where a dear friend of mine said to me on Friday, you know, uh, my nephew is a police officer. Can you put him in your prayers? You know, can you put him in your metta? I'm worried about him. Yes.
the heart holds it all and asks us to uproot our judgment and our prejudices and our lack of caring. So we can see this time as a movement of the heart, a time of uh, potentiality, of courage, a movement towards restoring justice and towards our capacity for caring. So, um, my apologies if I have stepped on anyone or hurt anyone or made anyone feel uncomfortable. That's not my intention. And it's certainly hard to, um, to speak and find words in, on days like this and times like this. There's a feeling of inadequacy for it. But one thing I do know, and I think you can all attest to, is to have a group to practice with and to be with in these times, and not as we can't be uh, together in person, but we're certainly together in the heart, means so much. And what I'd like to do is open up for sharing right now. Please speak, and please feel free to speak. We judge no one. We want to hear your voice. So you can raise your hand or go into participants and raise your hand. If you're, you have advanced technology skills, you can do that. If not, you can raise your hand. But please speak and say what you need to say. We want to hear from you, and this is your sangha to speak. This is... Um... I just wanted to say when you talked about having each other and the sangha, I was struggling this week to find compassion for those who committed these horrific acts. And knowing in my heart, I didn't want to hold the hate. Um, I didn't want to express it verbally. I didn't want to have the thoughts. And so I reached out to two friends in the Sangha uh, in a text message and said, I'm struggling with this. And it was lovely because we just stood in it together, you know, and got, I got, some words of wisdom and some honest responses that were very similar to mine and um, metaphrases that weren't, that were just a little different, but, but held meaning for the situation. So I think I just wanted to thank, um, yeah, the Sangha just without this, I think this would be so much harder. And uh, Wendy, what you, your words today, beautiful. Thank you. Sue, would you uh, be willing to share some of the phrases that worked for you? Sure. Um, so, um, the two that were that stood out were: "May their hearts be free from hatred, and may they be free of fear." Um, it's kind of the same as "May they be free of the causes of suffering," right? So, yeah, may their hearts be free from hatred. That's what I would wish for them. Or, yeah, Beautiful. those are the phrases that, that reached me. Thank you so much. Thank you. That really resonates with me, yes. 
I think we want to help may may all beings break free from hatred, delusion, right? From from uh, this kind of suffering, the internal and external. Now, how about Janet Daniello? Are you here? You wanted to share the poem about Eric Garner, written by Ross Gage. Would you be willing to do that? Um. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I wasn't expecting to read it, but I can. I can do that. Please. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Let me see if I can get to it. Okay. A small needful fact is that Eric Garner worked for some time for the Parks and Rec Horticultural Department, which means perhaps that with his very large hands. Perhaps, in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants which, most likely, some of them, in all likelihood, continue to grow, continue to do what such plants do, like house and feed small and necessary creatures, like being pleasant to touch and smell, like converting sunlight into food, like making it easier for us to breathe." Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe post that for us too. I think, well, you put that in the chat. Yeah, yeah. the link is there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wendy, I would just like to say you did an incredible job. I really appreciated and enjoyed your talk. Um, I've had some run-ins with the police. I, I Grew up in a very sheltered environment in Palos Verdes, but, uh, you know, little kid riding my bike to the store and the cops, you know, are harassing me. And it's, you know, I'm there with my little white friends in Palos Verdes, but I'm the only one that is, uh, you know, put up against the wall. You know, why are you, what are you doing here? What's going on? It's like, well, I live here. Oh, you're one of those Maccabees, you know, or to live in a community where, you know, uh, there was a meeting before we moved in. Don't move out. Don't move out. We don't think any, any more black people will be able to uh, afford to live here. You know, our, our white neighbors told us about the meeting years after once we become friends. But there was so much racism back in the 60s. It, it was uh, amazing. And then, you know, just experiences with the police. You know, I, I, uh, I'm a medical student in Washington, D.C. And the next thing you know, I'm being stopped by the police. They don't tell me why. I'm searched. I'm put on the ground. I've got nice clothes on. I'm handcuffed. Uh, I'm put in the back of a squad car, and I spend the afternoon in in uh, in jail. Uh, I had forgotten my driver's license. I had my student ID. I was with a dental student, and uh, you know she had all of her ID. And it's like, look, I only live three blocks from here. Uh, you know, of course, it was a predominantly, uh, it was a nice neighborhood, I'll say that, in Washington, D.C. Um, but, you know, to just be hassled, you know, there's so many black people, I think, that have had these kind of experiences. Uh, and so it brings up so much when something like this happens. It's almost overwhelming. But, you know... When it first happened, my first thought was, okay, this is obviously murder. And I'm watching this guy for eight minutes, eight and a half minutes with his, his knee on the guy's neck. And I'm thinking to myself, any minute now, they're going to press charges and throw him in jail. 
And, you know, one day turns into two days, turns into three days, and you're saying to yourself, Jesus, if that was a dog and somebody was kneeling on a dog and killed it in, in plain sight, they'd have brought charges against him immediately. But, you know, it seems like a black man in this country is less than a dog. Um, you know, there's less empathy and compassion, and it's it uh, it's a very painful uh, experience. But you know, there's there's good people, there's bad people, there's all kinds of people, and uh, I just really thought that your your talk was very insightful. Uh, Wendy, as to the actual experience uh, that I think a lot of black people are, are uh, going through. So thank you. I had an experience as, as Wendy began to talk, this heart cracking open, this breaking of heart in the last few days. More than that, actually, because I've had, this has been, you know, We've had four killings in the last two weeks. I mean, it's just, it's not just, you know, um, or not actually four acts of violence. I think one of them was a, yeah, what happened in New York. But um, I, I've, I didn't know what to do. Just felt horrible. I started contacting my black friends and just telling them how badly I felt. And I talked to my friend Keith, who I taught continuation school with back in the beginning of the 2000s. And he told me something like Anthony just shared. Um, he was a high school graduate and he got out on his bike the day after he graduated. His head was full of dreams of going to college and all the things he wanted to do and literally got one house from his home and the police pulled him over and same story. And so, yeah, it's pretty, I just wanted to try, try and offer some support and I'm grateful that I have people that I'm connected with who are looking at how to make the situation better because it's been going on as long as I've been alive. It's just keep seeing these things and um, just weary, but I want to stand with people and help to make this, make, make this better in any way I possibly can. I want to recommend a show on Netflix called um, Midnight Gospel. It has a great um, exploration of our, you know, the practices that we're looking at, and especially the last episode talks about the heart cracking open in the most beautiful way you can imagine. So I'm recommending people take a look at it. Um, so like a lot of you, uh, I felt totally paralyzed uh, feeling everyone's pain. Um, and, and trying to stay open and, and holding that pain and not knowing what to do with it. Uh, and I think maybe all of us kind of feel like we can't breathe 
in the midst of all this pain and, and trying to hold each other. Um, and so sitting that with that for a long time, I tried to figure out, okay, so what's just something that I can stand on? You know, I need, I need a little bit of something I can stand on. Uh, and the three things that I came up with that, uh, is that, um, the earth is good. Like this planet we're on is, has natural goodness and, and, and the soil accepts the seeds and the sun goes on the leaves and children are born and, you know, you can just look at the earth and it has natural goodness happening. You can go outside and you can see that and the earth is good and it's good to us. So I can stand on that. The second thing that I can stand on is love exists. And there's no doubt that love exists. And right now it's like a bell that's ringing. It's being hit in all of our hearts. And then our mind has a reaction to all that. But we can hear that sound in our hearts. So love exists. And I can believe that. And the last thing I can believe. Hi, Daisy. <laughs> the last thing I can believe is that I can help. I can help. And by going to that quiet place and listening. Okay, baby. <laughs> by going to that quiet place and listening, um, my, my instinct and my compassion will tell me exactly what I need to do. So the earth is good. I can see that. That's reality. Love exists, and that's reality. And I can help, and that's reality. And just standing on all those three things, I can, yeah, I can breathe a little bit too. Thank you, Kelly. That was beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. What a beautiful reflection. What a beautiful reflection. Thank you, Wendy, and thank you, everyone, um, for sharing. Um, in in my practice, I've never used a lot of visualizations. Um, not many uh, resonate so strongly with me, but something that has sort of uh, come to me is this idea that, you know, we're kind of seeing now this is the water we swim in, you know what I mean? As if we were all fish and someone was like, oh, how's the water? And you were like, what water? And now we can see the water that we swim in is, is systematic racism in our culture, right? So coming to see the water that's around us, it kind of occurred to me, you know, if I can see other beings as sort of the luminous, bright beings in this water, but in the water itself, there is greed, hatred, and delusion, and it's swirling, and it's what's in between us that makes us not able to see each other, um, and, and that's just sort of, that's just sort of our um, condition, you know. It helps me to cultivate the compassion and to see the luminosity in all of the other beings while still acknowledging how polluted the water is, how, how much 
greed and hatred and delusion there is. And so that is, um, that sort of picture has been arising in my mind and, and, and bouncing around in my mind. And it helps give me access to the compassion for the luminous being across the water, you know? Um, and I'll just share that. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much. I really appreciate everyone being here today. And I feel the love and the strength. And Wendy, your words were beautiful. Thank you for those. Um, in the last few days, I've, uh, I think there are a couple of things that have been going on that have been somewhat illuminating to me and, and hearing everybody today as well. One, I'm kind of not watching a lot of television or media or having been bombarded stuff so I'm like you know I've read I've followed I've followed but I'm not like you know you know I'm not getting myself overwhelmed by this stuff because I want to stay strong and open and loving and there are a couple of things that I've found really useful for me um, and there's somewhat serendipity uh, yesterday I listened to um, or participated in the Insight LA Mark Nepo, um, Don, you were there. I saw, so you were there as well, um, and that that led to um, a discussion because every okay, you're there to hear a poet, but then what is everybody feeling? Everybody's feeling this horror that is going on around them. So that led to some very interesting discussions, and then um, some resources that were shared, and uh, one of them was that Inside LA is having another. Uh, event on Sunday uh, online for white privilege. And, you know, that's something that, you know, that's something I feel like I can do right now. I can learn more about my white privilege and how that sustains the system that's in place. You know, and then again, through Inside LA, I guess Tim Weiss, who I really didn't know about, who's an anti-racism activist and educator, they've had him there before. So then there was a link shared to a talk he'd done at Inside LA. And that was amazing. That led me to like, oh, okay, so I'm educating myself. And then, like, again, serendipitously, my daughter, who's a high school art teacher up in San Francisco, she and her fiance had um, sent a list to all their relatives of, um, organizations, they, they had their $1,200 check that the government gave, right? And they felt that, okay, well, we're employed, so, and we have our contracts for next year. So they started making a list of organizations that they're donating to, of Black Lives Matters and bailout funds for, you know, people that are getting arrested, um, um, black mamas, uh, you know, all kinds of organizations that they vetted to see like, okay, I want to put my money where my mouth is. And again, I found that very useful. So I'm trying to find places and people that can help educate me and move me to action, you know? Um, so that's all I want to share, but I love being here with all of you. And I thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, maybe um, that was beautiful. Yeah, Inside LA does have uh, quite a few trainings and Dharma study on white privilege, on racism, on white fragility. And um, 
you know, take a look. It, it's always posted. Um, and um, please participate in that. And um, again, any um, groups or organizations that you find worthy, share with us so we can participate as well. Thank you so much for that was so informative. Um, we we have been um, giving some rent money to um, a food group. Sue, do you know which one? Is Sue here? <laughs> Lost her in the sea of... Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. so we, we are donating. When we're not paying rent now, we give some money to... Who do we give rent money to, Sue? <laughs> um, the last one went... It was through Associated Students to the food bank at Cal State Long Beach for students who are... Um, needy for food. So, um, yeah, that was the most recent one we gave to as a group. And I gave it in the name of our, um, Sunday sit, the Sangha. Yeah. So if you have a worthy cause, uh, if we are on zoom and we don't have rent to pay, we can donate as a group. Uh, if you have a good cause, let Sue know or Casey or myself. And, um, you know, we don't have big reams of money, but I think every penny with a full heart is a good donation. So, and I will post somebody to ask, I will post the poems. Um, Kate will receive them for the newsletter. Yeah. Hi, thank you everybody. And thank you. Well, Anthony, I just want to say to you directly, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I just want you to hear it. It hurts my heart. And I thank everybody for help, you know, different ways to cope with this. It's good. And I think it's good to cry and let it out, but I'm not going to let I'm not going to shrink into that because my actions will be inept if I'm lost in my own grief. Paula, I thank you for your words. I, I think your your picture has frozen. Uh, I don't know what's what's going on. You may have to reboot. Yeah, I, I can't. I oh, doubt I can hear her. Oh, she's back. Oh, good. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, so I don't know what you heard or what you didn't hear, but um, I wanted to say that um, that it's important for us to take action. And so what I'm doing is um, I will take some of what other people said to support that. Um, but I just, oh, I know what I was going to say, is that some of my uh, black friends have said that, again, this isn't to judge, but to just be aware that some of the worst um, people who are so and uh, so they suggested I get this book called <clears throat> um, White Fragility. So I just got that yesterday and I'm reading and, and maybe we could read that as a group. I don't know. But I would love that Paula and um, with a Zoom platform um, we can meet easier to have a, a book study like that. So um, please pursue that. And there may be other people who want to read fascinating material. And um, 
Yeah, you know, thank you for your honesty about the tears and the impact hearing um, Anthony speak about that. Um, thank you, Paul. And, you know, he had mentioned the story last night, like, you know, here it is, 2020, and I'm sheepishly texting Anthony going, you know, it's embarrassing. Like, you're not going out, right? Like, you know, like, here we are, you know, just the horror of it. But um, he had shared the story of being in college as a medical student and being handcuffed for not having an ID. And uh, I was so sick to my stomach. You know, I couldn't quite say it in that way, but I, I was so sick to my stomach just considering that this is my country and this has happened to a dear one that I care for so deeply. I, if you see me drinking mint tea because I can't get the sick out, it's I, that visceral sick. And uh, we must, as white people, we have to stay with that feeling we can't run. And that's part of white fragility. Yeah, Paula? Yes, that's part of it. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I've got so many examples, I'm sure we all have, you know, where, and I think this is important to look at. And what I loved you saying, Wendy, is about how we need. This amazing educator with special education teachers and bringing all different kinds of people to our home. We had a neighbor right next door telling her, you know, horrible things, you know, using the N-word and all of this stuff, you know. And it was just like, you know, or just in, even in a modern time where I, I have a blind student who is, um, you know, he's like 11 years old and I have a, 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 a stuffed animal that is a, a monkey that sings and dances and stuff. And he loved it. And so we were finishing the, the lesson and, um, um, and I had the, the monkey in one hand and he was he says right out loud he goes oh and he's talking to my blind students and oh I see your brother's with you and my heart just like just was horrified and then this black woman colleague of mine came by and I saw her whole body just like, you know, just like droop. And this other white woman came by and said, what happened? And we told her and he, she goes, oh, he didn't mean anything. And this is, this is the blindness of the insidious racism that we carry as white people. And part of it, that person who said that was, is a beautiful being, okay? But she's, she's blind to it. And, and the thing is, is that I'll, the problem about confronting this is we have to be with our own shame that comes up. And we, we don't know how to be with shame, you know? And anyway, it goes on and on. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. No, Paula, you know, that's beautifully said, and I think we all appreciate everything that you're sharing. I, um, 
because I'm somewhat being a social worker, I consider myself somewhat of a social scientist. And so I really tried yesterday to be mindful of what I was watching on TV and to, to not just react, but to reflect and, and think about it. And what was interesting to me, um, was that I had watched during the week. I don't know if anybody's seen the Daryl Hammond documentary. He's the guy from Saturday Night Live that did Bill Clinton so well. Anyway, the documentary is about him and about how um, he kept, he had a lot of problems mentally and, and people kept diagnosing him and putting these labels on him and labels on him until finally, I guess one time while he, he like, he was sent away at, from Saturday Night Live. He had a breakdown or whatever. And the, the doctor said to him, there's nothing wrong with you. It's the trauma that you've experienced that's causes. It's like, it's not what, it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. And I think too, when I think back to when I was a child and, and there would be kids that would be labeled the bad kids because they couldn't sit still in class or they couldn't do this or they couldn't do that and they were sent away or done this or done that. And I, I think the same way. For those kids, it wasn't what was wrong with them, but nobody understood that. It was what happened to them. And I feel like what I got today, I mean, I was really sad last night watching all of it. And, and especially watching the fact that what I worried about was that these people who are being destructive would then be labeled as these horrible people that were destroying property and whatever. And what you said to me, thank you so much today, Wendy, what you, what you read about the rioting and all of that really, it, it helped me to see, no, there's nothing wrong with those people. It's what's happened to them that has spurred them on to do these things that they're doing. And, but I think as a society, we still tend to do that where we look at people with that label of what's wrong with that person. And if there's anything that I can do to help educate other people of that or to even help the people that are feeling this anger and frustration, no matter what, the situation is to say, you know, it's, they're not, it's, it's systemic, obviously, and it's a big problem. And I don't want to be one of those people, like, I was married to somebody who was like, no, I want to move to Beverly Hills. And why would you want to work with people who have problems? I want to be around all the people who are successful. I mean, that's obviously the opposite of what we're talking about here. But to me, it's like, let's get real and let's try to understand what's going on, not just look at it and judge it. And I think as a society, we are so judgmental and our political system is so judgmental right now that, that, I mean, I was sitting there last night thinking, you know, is this like one of the plagues here? Are we, are we, are we being subjected to all these different things all at once? Because the world is, is really has to change and and it hasn't gotten our attention the way it needs to and so now it's just it's gotten this scary because maybe it has to be this bad before it changes and and that's sad to me but i mean collectively the whole idea of um 
of learning to be um, compassionate and not judgmental has got to become more worldwide or at least more countrywide before we can really um, be what we need to um, be the kind of society that starts to understand this stuff. And as Buddhists, I think, or studying Buddhism, I think, I mean, I've, it's opened me up to all of this, to be able to look, to be able to be mindful enough to look at, wow, what am I thinking and why am I thinking this way? And, and, and I'm so appreciative of the Sangha and the ability that I'm getting to do this from everybody in this group and from you, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, first of all, thank you so much, Wendy, um, for your talk and discussion. And thank you, Anthony, too, for sharing your experience as well. Um, I myself had a similar experience where I was attacked by police officers uh, this happened in 2014. I was asleep, and uh, police officers came to my mom's home. They were looking for a man, and um, through that commotion, I was um, basically um, forced to the ground by four police officers. And then I was handcuffed, and I was told that I was going to be arrested. I had just woken up, had no idea what was going on, um, wondering why I'm going to be arrested. I am placed behind the, the backseat of a police officer's car, and um, I can see my brother through the car window, and his expression is one that I'll never forget. He was just helpless. He, he couldn't do anything to, to help me. And um, I have no idea how long I was back there. Um, but then the police officers came, and it looked like they had mics, and they were just kind of asking me um, just these questions. It sounded like they wanted me to say things they wanted to hear. And then one of the last things they said was, um, did you file a report on this person because he attacked you? And I said, yes. And they said, well, someone called the police saying that this person is here with a gun. And then they left. And so I was basically left there, um, confused, not, you know, I'm shaking. I have no idea why this happened. And my last thought is I'm not safe here because potentially there's someone here who's going to attack me. Um, I ended up leaving that environment and um, thankfully I came across wonderful people I found this organization called Friends Indeed they're in Pasadena they provide food uh, to their community and they also have a women's group and it was in this women's group that I found a safe place basically this women's center at Friends Indeed became my safe haven for some years, and then eventually I found Inside LA, and that also became another safe haven for me. I'm sharing this because I never in my life thought that I would have an experience like this. I thought that if I do the right thing, uh, follow the law, you know, be kind to people, that 
I'll never experience it. It's, you know, it's what happens to other people, not to me, but it did. And it completely broke me. Um, it shattered a lot of the trust that I had. Um, but thankfully, you know, through time, through meeting wonderful and amazing people, um, that, you know, has eventually kind of um, molded itself to, you know, having this faith and compassion towards humans. I, I, um, I hope that um, it doesn't happen again, but I, I, I don't know. Um, all I can do is just basically um, just rest in um, the knowing that there's um, good people out there that are willing to help and create change. So thank you. I, I were going over a little bit and I apologize if you'll stay for the poem and our ending. Um, I appreciate it. I just, I think it's important for people to speak. Are you okay with that? I think speaking is important and listening is really important right now. So I'm being bad. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say, I'm so sorry to hear what happened and you, don't, you didn't deserve that. And I hope you're okay. Thank you. This is very brief, but I found this in a book by Young Pueblo and uh, came upon it just this week. Um, young people were asking a woman who was, we could say, enlightened, and they asked her, why are we here at a time when there is so much misery and despair? She responded, because you answered the call. The earth signaled for heroes and the heavens sent forth the ones who are most ready to grow and unleash their unconditional love. You're here to shine the light of your own healing, to offer the world the gift of your balance and peace. Thank you for sharing that. Again, my heart quivers. And we have one other person, Don. Do you wanna? Uh, yeah, I, I live right uh, here where the grove is and the looting's been happening. But mainly there was, you know, there was a protest yesterday and, um, I haven't stepped out of my house, but I've been hearing the helicopter activity, and um, I really haven't watched the news uh, much, but I did when this all started. And I just wanted to say thank you for talking about <clears throat> uh, the disparities that exist and, you know, causing us to think about, well, how, how did we contribute to this situation? How did this situation get created? Um, that's all, just to be brief. I am safe and, um, you know, I think that I, uh, I really don't have any judgment and that helps me to have compassion. So um, thank you. And uh, lovely to have your voice in our circle this morning. We're glad you're safe. Okay, so thank you for everyone who shared. Uh, much appreciated. Um, and particularly for, the, for those of you who shared your uh, painful stories, we, we bear witness and we are in sorrow for that and pain. Um, and uh, I, I too believe, as Anthony had said, that um, I believe that justice needs to be served. Um, so if you go to my uh, Facebook thing, 
there's a list of who to call. I would like to see the other um, police officers brought up on charges. And um, there's a writing campaign. I think justice needs to be served. Our voice needs to be served. So if you feel that way, go and look at those phone numbers to share that. I uh, got that on my thing Monday morning, you know, um, and any other way that we can speak out um, in the name of justice. And I, this poem came to me, we'll end on this, um, this poem came to me this morning as I woke up in the unconscious. Uh, so I'll read it to you as a way just for soothing in this time. You know, we have, um, we want to... Pay attention, stand up, serve, and calm and soothe this being here that's gone through too, so much, too. So, Keeping Quiet, you probably have heard it before, by Pablo Neruda. Now we will count to twelve, and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, Victories with no survivors would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it's about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves, and of threatening ourselves with death. Now I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go. So, in practice, in silence, in peace, let's count to 12, and take refuge in our beautiful home, our Sangha, and the practice. May you be well. Thank you for joining us today. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.